The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the big finish, Six Doctor audio story, The End of the Line. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, are sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or whatever merch you'd like, by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. And finally, stick around to the very end. We do have some of your awesome listener feedback that we want to share and discuss. So stick around to the end for that. Uh, but first, we're going to be talking about and the end of the line. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what we're talking about? This week, the Sixth Doctor's final adventure or set of adventures begins, which is going to lead up to his regeneration. The Doctor is traveling in this episode with Mrs. Constance Clark, a codebreaker from 1944 England, and they find themselves in a strange fogbound train yard where they meet a passenger named Tim Hope. There seem to be multiple different versions of the same train, with some or all of the passengers dead. Eventually, the Doctor realizes that they are at an interdimensional nexus, and the doorways between different realities are opening, causing trains from different dimensions to come together in the train yard. The fog is also causing people to go crazy and become homicidal, resulting in murders. The Doctor realizes that this realm was created ages ago by an interdimensional group known as the Parallel Sect, and the Parallel Sect put a group of android railroad workers in charge known as the Normans to be caretakers. Another person they meet is a train spotter named Keith Potter, but he turns out to be a body avatar of the Anthony Ainley Master, and he's the one causing the dimensions to collide. The Master then coerces the Doctor into opening machinery to allow more portals to open safely so that he can conquer the universe, uh, actually the multiverse. But with the help of a Norman, uh, the Doctor gets the machinery to start closing the portals, thus thwarting the Master's plan. Afterward, the Master flees and runs into Tim Hope. In private, Tim Hope reveals himself to actually be the Valyard, who has been recharging himself in this realm. The Valyard kills the Master's avatar and tells the unseen actual Master to leave the realm and to leave the Doctor alone, as he has his own plans for him. With the Master's plan thwarted, the fog starts lifting and the trains and surviving passengers start returning to their own dimensions. Not knowing that Tim Hope was the Valyard, the Doctor suspects that there was more to Tim Hope than they realize and suspects they'll see him again. The end. And they will. <laughs> so we have the veil yard and the rail yard. The yeah, yard how about that? And the, and the rail yard. <laughs> now that way, it's been a long time since I listened to these, but it would be nice if, if in the next episode they were in a brickyard or a shipyard or something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Scrapyard. And, and the master with the caster. No, just kidding. Mm. <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, this is, as we mentioned before, the six doctors, it's called the Doctor Who The Last Adventure on Big Finish, if you're looking for it there. And it's the six doctors' last adventure before regeneration, the one that he never got on TV. Uh, right. So so we're getting they, that. Because they, they decided to fire Colin Baker from the part and hire Sylvester McCoy, and they invited um, Colin Baker to come back and do a regeneration story. But he said no. He offered to come back for a whole season or something, but he didn't want to do just one story. And so they began Sylvester McCoy's tenure with the Ronnie attacking the TARDIS and and Sylvester McCoy in Colin Baker's costume and a wig laying on the floor regenerating. So there was no explanation. Uh, fan theory was he hit his head on the on the TARDIS console and died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but Big Finish, he, Colin Baker did a lot of work for Big Finish and really redeemed the Sixth Doctor after the abominable writing the BBC gave mm-hmm. him. And so they decided to send him off properly by giving him a regeneration story proper. Well, he's. He, I mean, even just in this one, he's not as arrogant and insulting and bombastic Mm -hmm. as he was on tv so i mean you can already see the difference here and this came out in uh, 2015 so a much older colin baker you could hear it in his voice but you can still recognize him so it i mean so much you can do with that but and even though it's called the last adventure colin baker still does the sixth doctor for big finish he's he hasn't stopped making six doctor stories it's just this has the last one chronologically right and and speaking speaking of voice, uh, Constance Constance Clark, who was his current companion, uh, was voiced by Miranda Raisin Raisin, however you pronounce her last name. Sorry, it, who was Tallulah, the dancer in Daleks Take Manhattan? Yeah, oh. the the really ditzy blonde with the really yeah. really bad accent. Totally did not hear that. She did a very ditzy New York accent in that one. So pretty good. One of the characteristics of The Last Adventure, you know, it's four parts, and we're going to be doing one part a week until we get it done. But one of the characteristics of it is it's set at different points in Colin Baker's tenure as the Sixth Doctor. So we're going to hear him traveling with multiple different companions. And this time we have Constance Clark. She's what's known as a Wren. That means she's a member of the Women's Royal Navy Service in World War II. And she was a codebreaker at Bletchley Park, which was kind of, I guess, a manor house where they did codebreaking. They worked on the the German Enigma machine and things like that. So she's part of that project. She's very smart. She's also... Um, and since she's also married, she's Mrs. Constant Clark. She mm-hmm. does have a, she does have a husband. He's not in this story, but she does have a husband, and she's very particular about being called Mrs. And I like her a lot. I think she's a great character. I like her better than some of the other characters companions that Big Finish has had for the Sixth Doctor. There's one companion who has this kind of high screechy voice. That's a woman named Flip. And mm. she, I don't think she's in The Last Adventure. She but, is. Oh, oh, great. In the third one. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm not a fan of Flip, but okay. I, I like Constance Clark. She's she's nice. She's very competent. She's very smart. She's self-assured. I, I like her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked the character. And the interesting thing is, this is the first, this story was the first time uh, fans had heard her, but it wasn't the first recorded. They just 
change the release dates. And so mm-hmm. what should have been her first appearance that explains who she is uh, ended up getting put back. This yeah. just came out in August. And I think that came out in November. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, the other uh, companions that'll be with the doctor in this will be Charlotte Pollard, which is in the next one, yeah. which is interesting given that she's an eighth doctor companion that we've been hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's a, there's a running issue because, you know, Charlie is a, a, a companion that shouldn't exist because right. the doc, she was fated to die in the R101 crash and the doctor saved her. So she she's a living time paradox. Mm-hmm. And one of the running themes with the eighth with her travels with the eighth doctor is how is he gonna prevent the web of time from becoming undone because of this paradox? And in her travels, because she did travel with him for a good period, in her travels with the previous sixth doctor, how does she avoid contaminating the timeline? Right. Because it, so with the eighth doctor, the eighth doctor knows about the problem and she doesn't. And so he's trying to keep things together. Whereas when she travels with the sixth doctor, she knows about the problem and the eighth doctor doesn't. He doesn't the know sixth she's. Doctor. Th- I'm yeah. sorry, the sixth doctor doesn't yeah. know she's from his future. And so she's the one who has to keep things from going off the rails by controlling what he's allowed to know about her. From her point of view, she's with the sixth doctor after her time with the eighth doctor. Yeah. That'll be interesting to know. Yeah. With lashings of river song thrown in. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the final one, we have the doctor and Mel, which is going to be interesting, Um, which I'll be curious because the, is he with Mel at his yes. generation? Oh, yeah. right. She's in the Ronnie. Yeah, the Mel is one. Mel yeah. is the prototype of River Song, who was a companion from the Sixth Doctor's future, and and he meets her in the last part of Trial of a Time Lord, and then she's still there when he regenerates into Sylvester McCoy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking forward to those, but uh, but we should probably deal with this one first as we as we go. Uh, but that's a good introduction to this. Four four part story, four stories of this. Well, whatever the regeneration story. Um, so it starts with these folks on a commuter rail in Britain. Um, they're on their way to work. You know, a lot of a lot of cities in America have the same sort of thing where people live in the suburbs and they're commuting into the city. And that's what we have as a basic commuter rail. It's pre dawn, I guess, is mm-hmm. the uh, implication they, based the way they talk about it. Yeah, they say it's ten pa- ten past six in the morning. Okay, and there's a fog. There's a very thick fog that comes up. Um, it must be like December or something, because yeah, ten past six in the morning. It's already light in a lot of places in North America. Yeah. Although London and those parts are 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 yeah, are kind of like uh, I think up by you, Father Corey, in your la- latitude. Yeah, I so. can't remember, or it might even be a little bit higher because I know like I know like yeah. Poland, which is a similar line of latitude, is actually like Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. And so actually, Boston, yeah. yeah, Boston's like at Rome's latitude. So, and and New York is at Spain's latitude. Yep, right. So it will, yeah, they will have. Um, oh man, I couldn't live like that. Where it gets, it doesn't get light until after seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're we're used to it. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> so they're riding in the uh, in the uh, the rail on the you know on the train. It loses power and stops, and they get stuck there. And they also notice that everyone's watches have stopped as well, so they don't know what time it is. And there's a, a group of people on the on the train, including 
not a conductor, but what does he call himself? Customer service manager. Yeah, yeah it's his running Senior gag. He customer <laughs> service manager. Yeah. But he he's a conductor, and he's his name is Norman, and we will later meet other Normans who look identical but perform other tasks for the railroad. Right, and uh, so the the passengers get off the train and get separated in the fog, and that's kind of the how we start. And meanwhile, the Some doc- of them do yes, and meanwhile the doctor and Constance, Mrs. Clark, um, are also happen to be there in the fog. We're not we don't we don't see them showing up. They're just kind of there. And they're the I think Mrs. Clark says you, you've gotten lost again. I think is how she puts mm-hmm. it. Uh, and they this is when they encounter one of the passengers from the train, this Tim Hope, um, mm-hmm. which is an interesting name. Um, I wonder is it is it supposed to mean something? Tim Hope, you think? Well, we'll see how they we'll see if they play it out with the with the Valeyard. But you know, it, Hope is kind of the opposite of what the Valeyard is all about. Right, right. that's true, and. Uh, T- time is seems to pass differently and they encounter these different versions of the train. And that's when the doctor starts to figure out like there's more, more and more lines. So they're at a station mm-hmm. Kettering station. Mm-hmm. I think they said, yep. and there's, there seems to be more and more rail lines being added to the platforms. If you've ever been to yeah. a train station, there it, are rail lines there. It it normally has 12 based on the knowledge the passengers have, because the doctor and Constance have just walked into the situation. Mm-hmm. They don't have local knowledge. But uh, based on the knowledge of Tim Hope and other passengers, the the station is supposed to have 12 uh, platforms, and now it has 17, and it keeps growing, and we get 21 and 22 and so forth. Right, and and it's a, sort of a visual allegory of a crossing point in the multiverse, right? Yep. Where each each track is a different universe and so different versions of the and we we get to see like different versions of the rail car that the the, the train that these people came off of and one is ravaged and bloodied like those people been murdered on it and so on and so forth and, and they don't give us the interdimensional solution initially since this is a time travel show th- it's more normal to expect duplicates in terms of time travel so mm-hmm. like at one point they um they're walking around outside the trains and they find the body of a dead passenger and his name is Dave. Now, if you read the TARDIS wiki for some reason, at least right now, it keeps referring to him as Danny and whoever wrote the entry was asleep on that, I guess, because they keep (laughs) calling him Danny, but his name is clearly Dave. Right. And Dave ends up dying. He's either already dead when they meet him or they meet versions of him that are just about to die. And um, and so he's kind of our initial creepy thing. And then they find another version of the train car with the windows shattered and everybody missing. And they go on board and there are spots of blood. And they keep talking about the spots of blood, and it's pretty creepy. Um, you're on this deserted train car with spots of blood and all the windows smashed out. And since this is a time travel show, you're and, – and the doctor says, how do you know it's not just a different train car? But Tim Hope says, I take this train into work every day. I know all the details. See, there's the parasol of one of the other regular passengers. It's pink with some kind of animal on it. Pink elephants, you know, he, I think. Pink yeah. elephants, yeah. <laughs> Um, and he says, look, the eye on the toilet has been scratched out. 
And that means that if you think they don't, I love this. They don't mm-hmm. make a point of it. But if you take the word toilet on the door and scratch out the eye, it's going to say to let, medium, <laughs> meaning for rent. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think of that. That's a good one. <laughs> um, but because it's a time travel show, you're thinking, how do we know this isn't the same train car from the future and everyone's going to die? Right. Um, but they, they, they eventually reveal its parallel universes colliding. Right. And yeah. And so what, cause they, they leave that car, they go back into the fog and they, they think they get turned around again cause they come back to the train, but this time it's the unblemished train car, mm-hmm. which might be the original might not be, uh, that we saw earlier. Cause you know, multiverse, uh, from our knowledge of the end of the sh- uh, episode and, they they find it it's undamaged but dave is dead <laughs> keep i keep thinking of that Cheech and chong skit dave's not here yeah dave's not here man <laughs> yeah. i thought you were gonna say you keep thinking of you killed kenny <laughs> yeah it's the other one <laughs> and uh so the uh so, but then Dave shows up banging on the window. It's like, ah, can you imagine if like you'd seen mm-hmm. Dave die and now he's at the window banging again? We, you know, as, as listeners, we're probably thinking it's, he's from a different period in time. And then he gets dragged off into the fog and killed. So it's really creepy. And the way that happens, cause he's begging to be led into the train. Mm-hmm. And, um, at this point, Norman, the conductor is like, I, I'm not allowed to policy as I don't let anybody on or off the train. My first concern is my, is my passenger safety. And, and the doctor is like out of my way, man, let me let this guy in. But Norman stops him. And before the doctor is able to get out to open, to, to get the door open, to let Norman onto the train, we hear Norman die again. And the doctor is really cold about it as like, you know, uh, he, he, he died while we stood there and do, did nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Dave. The, so there's, we have, so far we have two dead Daves. We have Dave, the one that, um, I think on the tracks, Alice reports mm-hmm. that yep. she saw him or heard him die. Then we have the Dave who was at the window, who get dragged off and killed. And so then Norman's going to lock Constance and the doctor, the doctor in, in, the, the yeah, in the bathroom, in the bathroom. Uh, hey, but, it's for rent. May as but, well use it. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's occupied by another dead Dave who's in the, in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And now they're really confused. It's like, is this the dead Dave that Alice said that she had heard get killed? Or what is this? Mm-hmm. And, and and for for a moment, um, suspicion falls on Alice because the doctor mm-hmm. proposes a way that doesn't involve time travel and that doesn't involve the multiverse, that she could be responsible for what they've seen. And it's kind of a crazy explanation, but it's enough to cast suspicion on her. Right. Now, uh, there is actually a funny line here, because at this point, with Three Dead Daves, I think it's uh, Tim who says, I'm glad I'm not called Dave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was a a good line. Um, Also, there's another good line as they start to realize the parallel world's nature of all this. I forget who. It's probably Alice says, um, oh, it's like Professor X. Mm -hmm. And Professor X is Doctor Who, the TV show Doctor Who that exists as a um, surrogate for Doctor Who in the Doctor Who universe. Right. 
So, um, so it's a self-referential thing about, oh, yeah, we have this TV show about this mysterious scientist called Professor X who travels to all these worlds and <laughs> solves yep. problems. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's not Alice, but Hillary. I, th- I think I, I got, got it mixed up. And Hillary is the one who heard Dave die. And so they kind of, the doctor confronts mm-hmm. Hillary and says, you know, you had the opportunity and you've got blood on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've probably are somehow involved in Dave's death. And so Hillary starts to talk and she's, she's, um, she's a Ms. I think she says, and mm-hmm. she's Very done consistently. Yeah. Yes. yes. And she's done with misogyny. And I missed my interview out of the rat race, uh, and you know, men holding me down, uh, by this train being stopped. And she starts getting more and more angry and sort she admits to killing Dave and she gets full of rage and says something about liking killing now and mm-hmm. then uh she so yeah so she's she feels she has lots of resentments about being a woman in a man's world and she's worked harder than everybody else she shows up earlier and stays later at work she's put in all this work at the office to outcompete the men and it all came down to a job interview that uh this momentous job interview she was going to have and that was this morning but because the train broke down, I missed my appointment. So she's been building up to this appointment for years, apparently, and now she's missed it. And and I was telling Dave what happened, and he told me to calm down, and so I killed him. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like as if that made all the sense in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell a woman ever to calm down. <laughs> well, not not this kind of woman, certainly. No. No. Um. I did forget to mention, you know, because we, we mentioned him already, Keith, who is the, the you mentioned in the uh, recap, the body avatar mm-hmm. for the master. Uh, and so by this point, the the doctor and Constance had encountered him in the fog. So he's Keith Potter, train spotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit of the master's wordplay, wordplay there. Um, and so he's here and he's going to take Hillary into and, the fog to the train station. And and he's doing a really great job. I mean, you would never dream this guy is the master until the reveal. Right. Um he's 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 a total train geek. That is yep. trains is what he is about. He knows everything about trains and he is he has the most local knowledge of anybody about how the train system works, which they play to their advantage. Yes. Right? But um then once Hillary has admitted that she is um homicidal um she wants to leave and go to the station and they're inclined to let her because <laughs> yeah. she's homicidal right. and and she she wants to take Keith with her and and at first they're balking at that but Keith is like no 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 it's okay it's okay I'll, and and they're thinking and the doctor explicitly thinks there's more to Keith than meets the eye he's more capable than he seems and what they're thinking is he's going to use his superior knowledge of the train station to get away from her. Right. But when she and he get onto the train station, onto the platforms, they're talking and he quizzes her about what happened. And once he gets the information he wants, he says, okay, I have no more use for you. And then we hear this special effect, which is the apparently the tissue compression eliminator running. Right. Mm-hmm. And he shrinks her to death. Ugh. Although we don't know at this time that that's exactly what's happened. That will be revealed later. Right. 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 We just hear her scream and die. And that, yes. 
Um, and so around this point is when we start to get the doctor's realization that they're on a reality nexus, a dimensional interchange, and that parallel universes, which by the word parallel, are not supposed to intersect, are yep. intersecting. Um, and he, you know, we get the question, so what's causing the universes to go out of alignment here? What's, what's making them cross? Um, and so uh, the doctor goes with Keith who's still Keith at this moment to the station. And they have a discussion about different dimensions, different universes, some that are more dark and some that are less civilized, I think. And I thought that was an interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. One of the things they talk about is darkness from other universes bleeding into good ones. And this is apparently lifted. I've never actually seen it, but there was a, Doctor Who side project, other than the TV show, called Doctor Who in the Dark Dimension. And apparently this this concept is lifted from that. Hmm. Oh. I've heard about Doctor Who in the Dark Dimension. I've read about it, but I've never I've never I I, I, I guess it never got made, if I'm remembering correctly. But they use that concept from it. And and the reveal on the master is nice because mm-hmm. they, they meet another Norman. And this mm-hmm. Norman is like wearing overalls, so he's not a conductor. He's some other. He's like an engineer or something, mm-hmm. or a station maintenance man or something. Yeah. And the Normans are all very officious. They are all mm-hmm. very much into what the rules are. They're pleasant, but they are into the rules, <laughs> and and they will not deviate from their rules. And Norman refers to Keith as master and the doctor says norman is uh, keith is your master and norman says oh not my master he's the master the definite article so he says (laughs) and it's really nice to have that the definite article which normally the doctor uses for himself Mm -hmm. thrown in the doctor's face and applied to the master in fact, doesn't he do it in this very story? Like at one point, I'm not a doctor; I'm the doctor. I think he actually says that earlier. Yeah. in this story, but he but he does use the line, the definite article. Matter of fact, yes. it goes mm-hmm. all the way back to the first doctor, if I remember correctly. Right, right. I, and I guess the actor who does Keith's voice does a great job because Keith transforms from Keith Potter, Train Spotter, mm-hmm. to very much the snooty the master voice that the anthony ainley master yeah yeah Yeah. um it's it's subtle but really good it it is it's it's obviously not the same physical voice but he assumes the mannerism and Mm -hmm. this the speech it idioms of anthony ainley who had this kind of you mustache twirling supervillain yeah yeah you know demeanor that was different than uh roger delgado's master Yes. And you can hear, even though this is a different physical voice, you can hear that Anthony Ainley element in there. Yep. Mm. Um, the, so the. Un- unfortunately, Anthony Ainley couldn't appear in Big Finish because he passed on. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the, so we have um, Alice, who I was thinking of before, also, she's another passenger on the train, and she also goes loop goes crazy and um kills somebody with her brain apparently mm-hmm. she also smashes out windows and things like that and she's also she we we just like with Hillary when she recounted how she killed Dave 
there's this progression of disordered thought that gets to the point of being mm-hmm. homicidal, but it, there's a progression leading to it. Mm-hmm. And under the influence of the fog, which has been impregnated by the dark dimension, I guess, um, or some kind of dark dimensional energy, she starts to fall under its influence. And she she's initially sane, and then she starts thinking about multiverses and how there could be these parallel versions of us. And isn't that fascinating? These other people who are like me, but just slightly different. And Anything could happen. You could do anything. And then mm-hmm. from that, she gets into, you could do anything. <laughs> I could kill you right now, and it wouldn't matter. And and it's fascinating in just this brief space to watch how her mind goes from innocently thinking about parallel dimensions to, I could totally kill you right now. <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> yeah. Very creepy. Well, and both both her and Hillary, they they can they attack with uh like a psych- psychic blast, like you said, kill her with their mind. So you hear this this again, the special effects noise and Norman's like, you know, you know, stop, you know, stop it, stop it and nose bleeding and all this kind of stuff and she kills him. Right. Yeah, it's Norman, yeah, it, on the on the train, the the, the yep. Norman who's on the train that who, who she kills. Yeah, and it's it's kind of wild because Constance is there and she's trying to like talk her down a bit and she's like mm-hmm. um no no you can't do it <laughs> like there's still consequences if you do a thing like there's like cuz yeah. Alice talking about there's no consequences she says no no if you do a thing there's still consequences and just trying to reason with a person who's losing their mind and it is i think it's maybe more effective in audio like that because your brain mm-hmm. can supply a lot uh, so it's really yeah it's really an effective bit of writing and acting here as as you kind of hear her go crazy it's it's wild so uh the the doctor meanwhile finds the nerve center inside the station so he finally gets to the station and he says the interior reminds him of gallifrey uh mm-hmm. the 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 time lords and partly i think because of the technology for crossing dimensions and we find out that the Normans are a species of robot created by uh, a race called sect. The, the parallel sect, which is unique to this story, right? They're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're, they were ti- uh, not time traveling, but uh, dimension traveling or universe travelers mm-hmm. who could like cross universes like you could cross the street. And they had taken upon themselves to keep up the pathways between the universes. They, um, yeah, they would they would create wormholes, quote unquote. You know, not not the, obviously not the same thing as wormholes, but links between the different dimensions, and then they could use these these hubs, like there at this junction, this railroad junction, to travel from dimension to dimension. Right, and uh, Norman says uh, it's all they're gone now, and so Norman says um, everything's under new management, which <laughs> is mm-hmm. when he reveals the. Uh, the master's in charge and says, we have orders to open up all the barriers between the dimensions. And so the master's plan here is to use the dimension crossing ability to take over all the dimensions. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. so he's no longer satisfied with taking over one universe. He needs to take over all of them (laughs) because it's pretty much the master. Um, okay. And, uh, so and then Keith is a remote control avatar. So basically a flesh the robot ma- drone. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. The master is nearby in his TARDIS, which is disguised as a ticket machine. 
and he has he has um uh Keith Potter as I guess flesh he could be a robot but I I it's it's either flesh or robot but or I mean he could be a hologram but he's some kind of avatar representation that the master is controlling from inside his TARDIS okay um, there wasn't really any indication whether it's a real person that he took over or not. I don't think. No, they, they, yeah, they didn't answer that question. Okay. They didn't uh, even raise it. Meanwhile, Constance and Tim have left the train to go, uh, out to the station to go find out whoever is screaming in the, in the, in the, uh, fog or whatever. And then when and, they, and Tim gives Constance his coat. Presumably right. because it's chilly or something. Mm -hmm. Right, which is an important uh, element here. And they get to the station, but a Norman there won't let them in until they trick him into, you know, going yeah. to check out something. Hey, I think there's something going on over there. You won't go in through this door that you're not allowed to go through. Oh, no, no, we would never do that. <laughs> and then as soon as his back is turned, they go through it. Um, so the... The master wants has the doctor there because he needs the doctor, a time lord, to implement a some sort of protocol that will probably kill the doctor, but yeah. will be the final solution to opening up the universes. So the way they explain it, there's some kind of connection between the parallel sect and the time lords. It's almost as if, and they may have meant it to be this way, but it's almost as if the time lords are like descendants of the parallel sect. In any event, they have some kind of their time travel ability ha has resulted in them having some kind of biological factor that the parallel sect also had. And the parallel sect technology is biometrically uh, cued to the parallel sect. So you need this biological factor in order to be able to operate the technology. And so in order to get the – since they're all gone, in order to open the gates between the universes further safely, you need to uh, have – you need to be a Time Lord. And the Master doesn't want to get out of his TARDIS because it's dangerous. And Keith Potter is not a Time Lord, so he mm -hmm. doesn't have the ability to operate the machinery. So the Master tricked the Doctor into coming here. So that he could manipulate him into implementing the open the gateways safely thing. Right. And yep. Constance's arrival at this point in the story in the station gives the master the leverage uh, to get the doctor to do what he wants by threatening her life. You know, he holds yeah. her with at the end of the uh, tissue compression eliminator. Uh, so the doctor goes off with one of the Normans and the doctor's solution is to convince the Normans that they need to obey their original programming that mm -hmm. you know what the master has them doing is in violation of their programming and since as we've established the normans are very much about the rules mm -hmm. just pointing out to them that you're, they're breaking the rules is enough to get them to, to undo what the master has done which was you know this shows the fact that the master really didn't think this through because of course <laughs> the doctor is not going to help him even if he has his companion at gunpoint <laughs> right. he's going to actually work to undermine it because what is the master going to do it, by the time the doctor fixes the problem. The master can't turn that back around again. Right. And that's, this is about the point where I forget how this happened. Now I, I have an, in my notes, but I didn't write the context. There's a Tim, which turns out Tim was carrying a, the, in Constance because she's wearing Tim's jacket finds in his pocket, a dimensional mm. stabilizer from a TARDIS. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And, and that's what the doctor needs in order to, like, get rid of the fog and put everything to rights after the doorways start closing. Right. Yep. And that's when he can, conf- um, uh, they get away from the master. The master isn't gone yet. Keith is still there, but they get away from him. Um, and Tim ends up confronting Keith, uh, the master. And that's when he reveals himself to be the Valyard. Mm-hmm. And, and the actor changes. He like pulls off a mask and all of a sudden it's the actor who played the Valyard. So the yeah. voice completely changes. Michael Jaston. Yes. Yeah. And um, and then he reveals that he's there. They just hap- they happen to be there at the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, he came to the dimensional nexus to restore himself after his last encounter with the doctor. Do we know what that was? Was I haven't looked it up, but encounters with the doctor tend to not go well for the Valyard. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it could, it could be was the, the last of the Valyard or the trial of yeah, the Valyard, trial of the Valyard which we've be. talked about before. So Right, that's true. Yeah. yeah, the Valyard doesn't appear that often in Big Finish. I wish they'd do a little more with him, actually. One right. that I haven't yet heard is um, they have him in the Time War, which makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. To have the war Valyard, you know, um, or for the Time Lords to activate the Valyard and have him doing stuff in the Time War. That makes total sense. Yep. And um, we still, he's still a mystery figure. We're not still not yeah. sure who he is, um, which is fine. Yeah. They originally said that he's between the Doctor's 12th and final incarnation, um, but we're past that now. Yeah. <laughs> They in the Stephen Moffat era, they still have indicated he's somewhere in the Doctor's future. The Great Intelligence tells um, the Paternoster Gang and Clara that the Doctor will be known by many names, including the Valyard, and his future is not bright. Well, right. It just, it just yeah. turns out there's a lot more regenerations between the twelfth and final regenerations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, we've got. The uh, the fourteenth Doctor now with uh, you know the David Tennant who's to say something doesn't happen between that and the fifteenth Doctor you know that's a there's lots of possibilities when you've got the unlimited regenerations now um, and anything apparently goes um, so the Doctor and Constance never actually find out that Tim is not what he says he is a, a law clerk is is how we. Which is a bit ironic, given that the Valiant mm-hmm. was the prosecutor mm-hmm. in the Doctor's trial of a Time Lord. Um, yeah. They do realize by the end that there's much more to him. He had a dimensional stabilizer from a TARDIS. Yes. So this is something, but they don't know who, uh, which is it's interesting. Uh, so that's all I have. Uh, Father Corey, do you have any other notes on this story? There's a great, great line. Last line by Constance is about how. The the master's TARDIS hides, you know, in the shadows and don't recognize it, just like the master. While the doctor's TARDIS stands out, you know, like a sore thumb, just like the doctor. <laughs> yes, and he, again, then he says uh, defensively that this clothes, his outfit, is the height of fashion on some worlds. <laughs> yeah, she's like something about you'll have to take me there someday. <laughs> yeah, not now. Not now. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. Any uh, final thoughts? No, I thought it was a good story. I enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. Same here. I'm looking forward to the others. All right. Uh, we do have the feedback that I mentioned. This uh, feedback was on our episode 314 on the Deadly Assassin. Uh, that was that fourth Doctor story. Uh, Robert Hawkins uh, commented on YouTube. Uh, we had been talking about the Talons of Wang Chiang and coming up soon. And he said that the Talons is the same season as Deadly Assassin and was produced by Philip Henchcliffe as his swan song. 
but uh, his contract wasn't renewed wasn't not renewed uh we mm-hmm. uh, i think discussed how they w- it wasn't renewed but his it wasn't that his contract wasn't renewed he was simply transferred over to target a bbc police drama unless you were persona non grata as a producer such as john nathan turner 12 years later the bbc would always find something else for you and hinchcliffe was seen as an excellent producer so um yeah, I saw an interview with Philip Hinchcliffe uh, where he was talking about his departure from the show, and if and and if and he, if memory serves, he was somewhat ambiguous about it. That he, I think he he thought the Mary White House objections to the Deadly Assassin may have played a role in his departure, but it 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 wasn't just as simple as that, is my memory. Okay. Okay. Well, and you, you could you could still say that his contract wasn't renewed to be on Doctor Who, but they gave him a new contract with another show. So right, right, exactly. That's one way of putting it. Um, excellent, and thank you, Robert, for your feedback. We love to get everyone's feedback and uh, share it on the show. So we'd like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Anthony R, Mary G, Bridget C, Barbara T, and Anthony C. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it for us this time. We would love to hear what you think of this Big Finish story, The End of the Line. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch us in The Secrets of Doctor Who in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and leave a comment there as well. We'll be back next time and we'll be discussing the next episode in The Six Doctors' Last Adventure called The Red House. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, my sense of direction may be eccentric, but never concentric.